Hey, my name is Jake. As Todd said, I'm the associate pastor here. Our lead pastor, Dr. Brenton Cox, is on vacation. Uh, he's getting some time with family, and I know he's with Cindy and, and others. And so we're grateful that they get the opportunity to go and recharge and get away for a little bit. We want to pray for them as they're on vacation. We're in a series called Knowing and Growing. It's through the book of 2 Peter. And we come here to the final chapter now in chapter 3. And I want to begin this message talking to you about something I literally know nothing about. Rodeos. Bull riding. I've never been to a rodeo. I've never seen a bull, bullfighter. Um, but I did some research this week, and there's a reason why, and it'll make sense here in a minute. Um, so, you get a crazy mad bull, and you put a cowboy uh, on top of him. And what he does in a, a bullfight, I guess is there's a rope that he's holding on to. And then he's got his off hand, and his off hand cannot touch his own body or the bull. It's got to stay free. And he's got to stay on the bull for how long? Eight seconds. I just want to say yeehaw. I don't know why. I just, just feel led by the Lord to say that. He's got to stay on there for eight seconds in order for the ride to qualify. And if that bull bucks him off before eight seconds, it doesn't count. This has to be the most physical, demanding, hardest sport in the world. Bull riders are my heroes. But here's the deal. It doesn't take rocket scientists to know that the strategy of bull riding is essentially this. You hold on for dear life with everything you have, and you do not let go. That's the message of 2 Peter chapter 3, as we're going to unpack today. Here's the context. Uh, Peter's going to focus on one of the main arguments of the false teachers that he's been addressing. If you remember last week, he's not happy with these false teachers in the church. And now he's going to pick apart one of their main arguments. And here's the main argument. The false teachers were saying, where is the promise of Jesus' second coming? They're challenging the return of Christ. And you can feel this, can't you? Like God knew in the final days we would get tired, that life would get crazy, the world would begin to unravel, and we would feel it a little bit. And isn't this season we're in right now, aren't you starting to feel this? Are you a little bit tired? And Peter knows that as the church begins to feel this way, there's a temptation for them to buy into the false teaching that they're hearing. And so in this chapter, Peter's going to move from confronting the heretic to moving, to encouraging the faithful. And here's the big idea. If I was going to give you the message in a sentence, it would be this. Believers must hold on to the promise of Jesus' return despite the presence of the world's mocking. Here's the question we're going to ask today. How do we hold on to Jesus and not let go in the midst of a broken world? So Peter gives us three things to do. The first thing is this. Remember to remind yourself and others of the gospel. Let's start in verse 1. Here's what he says. Dear friends. Another translation says, beloved. Peter's making a connection before he makes any correction, right? He calls them friends. And then he says, this is now my second letter. How do we know that Peter wrote first and second Peter? Well, he's telling us right here. The first letter was first Peter. The second letter is... Second Peter it says, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders 
to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and commands given by our Lord and Savior through the apostles. So verses 1 and 2 have this theme of reminding and remembering. Church, we never move beyond the gospel, right? We have one message. I wish I could come before you right now and say, I've got some new material to tell you, but I don't. My job this morning is to be creatively unoriginal. And so my job is to respond to you, or to remind you uh, of the things you already know. And the reason why we have to always remind each other and remember the gospel is not just because we don't have any new content, but it's because in a broken world, golly, we are always tempted to forget, aren't we? I mean, think about it. In your week to week, what are you always doing? You're paying bills, you're doing the dishes, you're folding laundry, you're going to work, and you're trying not to yell at your kids, right? For many of us, that's what, that's what we're, we're doing. And we have a tendency to forget the gospel truths that we know. So believers should be always knowing and growing. That's, that's the title of this series. But we're knowing and growing in the gospel and how it applies to every aspect of our lives. We don't have new material, but we have a God and his word applies to every facet of our daily lives. So what I want to do for just a moment is I want to do what this text just told us to do. I want to remind us of the gospel. And the way I want to do that is I want to look at the overarching storyline of the Bible. This is called a meta narrative. If you look at scripture, it's really just four main parts. And I want to walk through this together because I think there's a really good point here that Peter's trying to make that comes directly from this. And the Bible begins by saying what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the first step in the story is creation. We look at the created order of God. Our seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall, right? Happens every year. We get 24 hours every day. What's going to happen at 6.30 tonight? The sun is going to go down. About 5.30 tomorrow morning, guess what? The sun will begin to come back up. There is a created order. You look at our world, you can tell there's an architect. This didn't just happen randomly. It was created. Not only was it created, when God created the world, what did he say about everything? It's good. But we look at our world right now. And is everything in our world good? No. I mean, we're coming to church right now with masks on. Okay? Not everything in our world is good. You can turn on the news right now and see it's not all good. So something happened, right? And we know by reading the scriptures what happened was humanity fell. We rebelled against God. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they rebelled. We perpetuated the rebellion in our daily lives. And God says that when you rebel, when the fall happened, you've become separated from me. Not only are we separated, but creation itself is now broken and it's not how it should be. But in Genesis 3.15, God preaches the gospel for the first time. And he says, there's going to be an offspring that will come from Eve. He will crush the head of the serpent even though the serpent will bruise his heel. And then we know from John 3, 16, 
who this offspring is. It's Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his own son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that brings us to the third part in the story. Redemption. Jesus has taken our place. He has died for our rebellion. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we all deserve. And he rose again. And he tells us that he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to make all things new. We will be his people. He will be our God. And we will be with him for all eternity. That's the story of the Bible in four main parts. Now, how do I know that you can trust this story? Well, I want to take a moment and I just want to test it for a second, okay? Let's just test this story to see if it's reliable. Has creation happened? Well, yes, it has. So check, creation has happened. Has the fall happened? Now you can look around the room again or just look at our world. Yes, the fall has happened. Has redemption happened? We have first century first century historians, Josephus, who says there was a man named Jesus who was crucified and his followers claimed he rose again. But you know what? Even if we don't have historical record, you want to know how I know the redemption happened? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I see the change that the redemption has done in my heart. And so I know it's happened. So church, let's just look for a second. Out of the three parts of the story that have happened in human history, God is batting three for three. You know what that tells me? I can trust him in the victory lap that I know he is coming again. So how are you reminding each other and yourself of the gospel? Can I give you one quick way that you can do that in our church? You become a part of a connection group. This is the 945 service, so listen, if y'all wake up just an hour earlier and come to an 830 connection group, when you join a connection group, this is what happens. You join a tribe of people who are doing exactly what this verse, or these verses in 1 and 2 tell us to do. That We remind each other to stimulate us to wholesome thinking, and we recall the words written in Scripture about Jesus. How do you hold on to Christ in a broken world? The first thing Peter says, you remind and remember the gospel. But number two, here's the second thing Peter tells us. You expect resistance. Look at verse three. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers or mockers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. We live in a tension of knowing God's word is absolutely true and living in a world that deliberately mocks his word. And we feel that tension. The phrase here, above all, talks about first importance. Peter doesn't want us to be uh, surprised by the fact that there's mockers. Jesus and the apostles expected that this would happen. So here's the principle we got to understand. Whenever there is spiritual advancement in your life, you got to know that there's going to be spiritual resistance. Whenever my life is going good and I'm growing and ministry is growing, guess what happens? I start getting nervous because I know the enemy's coming and he's going to try to disrupt what God is doing. Let me tell you, the enemy does not want you to grow in your faith. 
So when you're having a quiet time, studying the word, praying and seeking the Lord, guess what? Life will not be easy in those moments. Those will be the moments when life gets the hardest because the enemy is trying to stop you. When you're trying to get your kids and your family to church, let me tell you, those are the times where God is going to try to convince you to just sleep in. Don't get up early. Don't get everybody ready. The enemy is going to try to stop you. When your connection group is growing, that's when the enemy is going to try to bring in drama and struggles and problems to try to stop what God is doing. We live in a spiritual battle. There's spiritual warfare going on around us all the time. So listen, the enemy, Satan, he's got an agenda in the mocking. I don't know what you think about John Calvin, but let me read you one quote where I think he nails it. Here's what he says. For when that, the second coming of Christ, is taken away, there's no gospel any longer. The power of Christ is brought to nothing. The whole of religion is gone. Then Satan, here's what he does, aims directly at the throat of the church when he destroys the faith in the coming of Christ. For why did Christ die and rise again? Except that he may sometime gather to himself the redeemed from death and give them eternal life. The enemy has an agenda. But the text says that false teachers also have an agenda. They doubt Christ's second coming because they want to live however they want without guilt or consequence. The atheist is always preaching. His message is simply this, there is no God and I hate him. So notice the real reason they mock, Peter says, because they want to follow their own evil desires. In verse 5, he's going to say, they deliberately overlook the truth. So how do we apply this? Let me tell you, when you understand that there's going to be resistance, it gives you the opportunity to respond instead of react. I don't know about you, but when people mock God's word, it makes me angry. I was at the Jesus stand a few years ago, and I was sharing the gospel with a guy, and he looked at me and he says, so let me get this straight. You really believe that one day Jesus is going to come down in the clouds on a white horse and he's going to come again? I said, I absolutely believe that. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, that's adorable. I wanted to lay hands on him, not to pray that the demon would come out, right? Like, I wanted to shake him. Um, But I'm called to love my enemies and pray for the people who persecute me. That's a response. That's not a natural reaction. Listen, we live in a climate right now that is hostile to God's word. In order to faithfully live in this climate, we have to be the people who respond and not react. When you expect resistance, it gives you the posture, posture of response and not reaction. The third thing we see in the text is, listen, if you want to hold on to Jesus in a broken world, just rest in God's sovereignty. Look at what verse 4 through 7 says. They, the false teachers and mockers, they will say, here's their main argument, where is this coming he promised? Now here's how they flesh this out. Watch this. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it's been since the beginning of creation. Notice they are affirming the created order. But, verse 5, they deliberately forget. They overlook, not reminding and remembering. They forget that long ago, here's the key word, 
God's word, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Verse 7, by the same word, there's the key word again, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So these false teachers think they have a logical argument. Their argument is, if I can get philosophical for a minute, is that nothing's ever changed. Every day is the same. There's a created order that cannot be interrupted. And they think it's irrational to think that God could intervene and disrupt it with a cataclysmic event as such, the second coming of Jesus. And so these false teachers are basically deists who believe God created the world and then walked away. Michael Green, in his commentary on 2 Peter, says, Had they been alive today, they would have talked about the chain of cause and effect in a closed universe governed by natural laws where miracles, by definition, cannot happen. And so in their worldview, God breaking in to bring judgment, that's impossible. That doesn't exist. Now, what I love what Peter does here is he debunks their argument with just one statement. He says, here's the fundamental flaw in your worldview. God has intervened and manipulated creation in the past. And in verses 5 and 6, he talks about the waters. He essentially says, at the beginning, there was chaos. God intervened and he brought order. At the flood, there was order. God intervened and he brought chaos. And here's the thing about that. Uh, Noah told everybody there's going to be a flood, and they mocked him. Guess what? We are now modern-day Noahs telling the world he's coming again, and he's bringing fire. And guess what? The world is now mocking us. Peter's argument is essentially this. If God has intervened in the past, guess what? He can intervene again because he's sovereign. He's the creator, and he can do whatever he wants. He's God. And he says, listen, In the past, it was water. When he comes again, he's bringing fire and he's bringing judgment. What does this mean for us? It means that we have to understand that ideas have consequences. Our God is not an idea we created. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not an idea. Truth is a person embodied in Jesus. That means His truth, or the truth, is independent from us. He's sovereign. He does what he wants. Let me ask you, are you anchoring anchoring your life to God's truth? Or are you trying to live your own truth and making things up however you want to go along? Proverbs 14.12 and then 16.25 says this. There's a way... That seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. God's not an idea that we created. He is the sovereign king of the universe. Natural law is not dependent upon him. He does what he wants. You can rest in the sovereign control of God. Y'all ready to land the plane? We live in a broken world, don't we? And I'll be honest with you, during this season of life, I've looked to the east 
And I'm thinking, Jesus, you can come back at any moment now. I'm ready, right? The sooner the better. I'm glad God is patient with us, though, aren't you? God is so patient. Some of the mockers of that day were saying, God's made a promise he can't keep. Let me just tell you, if God seems slow, like 2,000 years have gone by, come on, let's get on with it. If he seems slow, it's not because he's incapable. It's because he's being patient with us. I'm so glad God is patient with me. I turned 40 this year. That's significant for me because God saved me when I was 20. And so at some point next year, the new Jake will have lived longer than the old Jake. That's going to be a significant moment for me. But as I I reflect on all that, here's something I've noticed. For 20 years, God ran after me and sought me and chased me down to the point where I repented, believed, and followed him. He was patient with me for 20 years. Here's the other beautiful thing. In the last 20 years, he's been just as patient because I've made mistakes and I've got it wrong a lot. I'm glad God is patient. Are you glad God's patient with you? If God's patient, I can be patient with him. If God's patiently working out his plan here in history, then I can join him in the work and I can be a part of his mission while there is still time. Don't get tired, church. Hold on for dear life and continue to be a part of the work. Let's pray together. Father, as we have looked at 2 Peter, God, I pray that we won't buy into the lie of these false teachers, that we will know in the same way that we know the sun's coming up tomorrow, that you will return. You will make things right, and we will be with you forever. Give us strength in these final days to follow you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this time, our invitation looks a little different. So I'm going to be at the Welcome Center. If you want to talk about how you can have a relationship with Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you've got some questions, maybe some false teaching you've heard and you'd like to maybe get some answers, I'd love to help you there. But for those who are in Christ, I encourage you this day, don't get tired. Don't grow weary. Commit to the work. We're going to patiently wait on God as he patiently works on us. Let's stand and respond to the word of God this morning.
His favor be upon you and the fountain generation and your family and the children 